standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my go to my grave, testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> Uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> Who else could it be? Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney. I hope you had a tremendous Labor Day weekend. Uh, so much going on. We will get to that. But we're coming off a very inspiring episode with Jerry Lynn. And he is uh, one individual who worked his ass off uh, during his wrestling career. Obviously, he was very well thought of. I mean, that guy worked for just about every organization out there, including the WWE. But uh, like I said, he was well thought of. And the way you could tell that is uh, when you know, they keep you on to do other things. And there were points in his career when he was injured and many of these companies uh, kept him on um, you know, to work behind the scenes when he was battling injuries. And right now, he is working with AEW. You know, uh, everybody's talking about AEW just coming off that uh, great week uh, with All Out in Chicago. And uh, Jerry Lynn's working as a coach slash producer, as he described it. And uh, we certainly wish him luck as uh, they move forward with all the great things happening. You know, this October is when it all really starts, when they get on TNT every week, and we can watch what's happening. You know, NXT is going to be on the same night. It is going to be fun. But as I mentioned, you know, All Out took place this past weekend, as well as another fabulous uh, fan event, StarCast 3. And it took place in Chicago and the surrounding area there. And I hope those who caught it enjoyed it. A great lineup of action. There is a new AEW world champion, the first ever. Also, we saw, you know, Pac step in for the injured Moxley uh, with that uh, bursa sack. Boy, doesn't that sound painful? Uh, but anyway, Pac stepped in and uh, took on Kenny Omega. The Young Bucks tangled with the Lucha Brothers in a ladder match for the uh, AAA Tag Team Championship and so much more. We can go on and on. And I'd love to hear your take. Uh, I'm going to give you mine. Uh, it comes out this Thursday. Uh, that should be listening here uh, tomorrow. In the PTSM Newsbreak segment on Patreon, I'm going to talk all about the, the event and what happened, and you can catch that this Thursday. Uh, if you have not become a Patreon member, what are you waiting for? Come on, join us. Uh, so much uh, on that uh, on that site uh, with us, uh, the membership. You, know, you can join just for four dollars and ninety nine cents. You can get the podcast every week uh, early and ad free. Uh, but also, there's something for everybody there. If you become a Mooney or you become a member of the Legion of Who, uh, so many perks. You know, uh, part of it is you get to choose who's going to be featured every, every week here on PTSM. 
Also, we've got the watch-alongs. We've added cameo videos. Uh, I mentioned the Legion of Who. Uh, after you've been with us, you get uh, uh, to have uh, do a podcast with me uh, for a while. After I think it's after six months, uh, you get to have that podcast, your own podcast with me. Also, we've got uh, merch that we're going to be sending you, as well as a one-on-one watch-along. You get to choose what we're going to watch together. Uh, that happens after a year. Uh, but uh, you got to check it out. There's a lot going on with our Patreon membership. And you can find out more by just going to patreon.com slash primetimemooney, patreon.com slash primetimemooney. You know, uh, I've been thinking a lot about this, and of course it uh, works right into our guest this week, but, you know, managers used to play a major role in storylines in professional wrestling. I mean, since the beginning of uh, wrestling, they've had managers, and uh, especially during the time that I was with the WWF slash WWE you know, managers were a big part of what was happening there. And, you know, some of the best, uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, of course, Jimmy Hart. You know, Sensational Sherry was an awesome manager. She was somebody who could mix it up in the ring. And uh, that would certainly include my guest this week, Kenneth Wayne Johnson. Kenneth Wayne Johnson, does that name ring a bell? Ding, 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 no? Uh, yeah, of course it does. How about if I say the Doctor of Style Slick? That's right. And the doctor's style had a style all his own. So what do you say? Let's get to my conversation with Slick. Ding, ding, ding. Hey, folks, not only were the 80s and 90s the golden era for superstars in the WWF, it was also an incredible period of time in the world of professional wrestling for managers. Yeah, you remember them. The word slingers, the ones who knew how to put someone over and make them seem like the greatest wrestler to ever step in the ring. Or, of course, they could bury a foe and leave them smoldering at ringside. Uh, During my time with the WWF, they had the best of the best, and that included Bobby Heenan, Jimmy Hart, and my guest on primetime this week, Kenneth Wayne Johnson, better known back in the day as the Doctor of Style Slick. Uh, Ken, thanks so much for coming on primetime. How are you? It's been a while. I'm great. How are you? I'm I'm fantastic, man. I uh, I know that uh, we saw each other. We were talking the other day. I think about six years ago at the thousandth episode of Raw. It might have even been longer, but uh, you had a good time there, didn't you? That was fun. I did, and it was good to see you. I hadn't seen you probably twenty years. Yeah, I, it goes by quick, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, it does. Hey, you know, As a matter uh, of fact, I've been. Uh, wait, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Matter of fact, what? As a matter of fact, I've actually been away from the WWE on a full-time basis for 26 years now. Yeah. Well, I left in 93, so mm-hmm. I've been gone even longer. But uh, it's it's kind of amazing. Well, well no, that's when, that's, that's when I left in yeah. 93. Yeah, you left in 93. Wow. We, and you know what? I think you came in in 86, and I came in mm-hmm. in 87. So we were both there just about the same amount of time. Same time. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I know you're busy now. I mean, you're as busy as ever, though. You're going back and forth. We've been trying to uh, get this conversation together for a while, but your ministry keeps you pretty busy, it sounds. It does. You know, I'm in full-time pastor. Right. Uh, I, I, and I, have, I serve a congregation, and so it has many challenges, but also many responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, so and for a while, I was in education. I'm a... I'm an educator by trade, and uh, so from time to time I do some substitute teaching, although right now I'm just dedicated full time to my ministry. 
Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize that that was a part of your life even when you were with the WWF and and, and, uh, professional wrestling, right? Well, throughout the entire time of my career, yeah. I, was a, I, was a, I was a pastor, yeah. uh, and I would go on Sundays and, uh, and serve my congregation, and then I'd catch a plane in the evenings to get back to wherever our show was. Wow. So, you know, considering what that schedule was like back then, how in the world did you pull that off? Because they were, you know, a lot of times these superstars would be on the road for you know, three, four weeks at a time. You guys are doing sometimes uh, six, seven days a week. Did you have it uh, an agreement that that was something they couldn't mess with, or how, do, how were you able to pull that off? Well, actually, it was through the graciousness of uh, Vincent, uh, Vince McMahon. Uh, he, um, he facilitated the, my ability to uh, get early flights out on Sundays and get to my church and then and then get back, you know, to uh, to do the shows. And I'm grateful to him for that. Yeah, that is, uh, that's pretty amazing. Um, before we get to that part of your life, I want to uh, cover some other ground here. And, and first, just talk about, because when I, when I brought you into this conversation, I was uh, reminiscing about the managers. And they were such a huge part of what we like to refer to as the golden, golden era on this uh, podcast, you know, the 80s and 90s. Why did you think they had such a big impact on professional wrestling at that time? I think that managers were uh, like an, an accessory. Uh, for instance, uh, you wear a suit, right? Yeah. And so the suit, the suit it, it will stand up for itself. But then when you accessorize <laughs> by adding a necktie and a handkerchief, yeah. uh, you know, then it, it complements it. And that's what the managers did. The managers were very, very vital and important, um, uh, integral, uh, 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 integrally important to wrestling because of the various angles that they would uh, help the, uh, the wrestlers to get over by doing, you know, like putting the referee away and uh, doing something to get some heat while an opponent was in a corner yeah. Those type of things. And then most of the times, uh, managers had to have the gift to gab. Oh, yeah. And um, so the, some of, most of the wrestlers that had managers really could not talk well. They didn't have yeah. good mic skills. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was your job. I mean, and, and, and that's a really good point because... Uh, especially then in the independent circuit, they had guys do promos, but not on the level that you had to be at when you got to the WWF. And uh, were you always like that, uh, Ken, growing up? I, I just wonder what like, you were like with a kid, uh, as a kid. Were you uh, always able to uh, verbalize? You are able to uh, disarm people with uh, what you could say? When did you realize you had that talent? Well, but before I answer that question, yeah. let me allude to something that you said, mm-hmm. and that was that on the independent circuit, yeah. that the managers didn't have to do as many promos stuff as they did for WWE. And I, I don't know if that's 100% accurate, because the promos are part of building the hype, yeah. which sells the tickets. So it, it, regardless of the promotion, the professionalism had to be at the same level. Because oh, yeah. even yeah. on the independent circuit, circuit, they were still trying to put uh, put bottom 
comes in the seat, you know. <laughs> well, and, and that's exactly my point. So, that's exactly so I my think, Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now, to, to answer your, the next question, I, I, I probably realized the gift that I had when I was a child, yeah. uh, you know, because I've, I've been a preacher since I was nine years old. Really? And Yes, and so I, I, I realized it then, and even to this day, there are those who say I have a, a gift to gab, uh, <laughs> and it, it certainly has has led to success in my ministry, yeah. and it, it and it has led to success with my relationships with people, yeah. um, my interactions and my interpersonal skills. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned you said nine. So when did you start? Uh, were you able to get up and perform in front of people? Because that that certainly is part of it. And, you know, how old were you then when this started? And was it related to church that that's where you, you know, found your stage? Well, believe it or not, Sunday school. Uh-huh. And I'm sure you have fond, fond memories of Sunday school. And so, you know, at Sunday school, when you finish going over the lesson, mm-hmm. then they would, ask, they would ask people to give a summary and so I was always able to give a summary that, to some degree, astounded uh, the adults. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so, so you know, that was my first exposure with really public speaking. Yeah, but you said you were nine. I mean, were you actually getting up and uh, you know leading a sermon, or what did that consist of at nine? Well, at nine, my sermons were mostly extemporaneous uh-huh. because my 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 knowledge of scripture was based upon Sunday school lessons. So I was more I was more in the area of of limited in, uh, academically mm-hmm. with 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 what I was saying, but but from a practical perspective. I was always very good, even at an early age. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's really interesting. And then you have this this combination now uh, with your father, who many people know, or maybe they don't. Uh, was Rufus R. Freight Train Jones, and uh, how did this the combination of you uh, you know being actively involved in the church uh, at such a young age, and then also how did professional wrestling mix into your life? Well, it didn't in those days. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, just like any other any other parent, you know, uh, children go to school, and they have their lives that that uh, that are formed and are forming uh, in the community, church, uh, school, education, and that type of thing. And the parents are away uh, with their employment, and 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 first and foremost. Uh, especially when I hear somebody try to give rest in a bad name and yeah. say something like drugs and all that kind of stuff. Those type of things depend upon individuals. Uh-huh. It's not the business itself. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not the business itself. So it was, you know, my, it was, my life was just the life of an ordinary kid. And uh, my father's business dealing and with wrestling, just never hardly came up, you know, within the household. 
Was he around, you know, where, or did he have to go off? Uh, you know, I'm wondering what it was like back then, the, the type of life that uh, these guys had. Was he, you know, a regional area so he didn't have to go so far away, or would he be gone for weeks at a time? How did, how did it work back then? Well, my father was always an a international star. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, he, 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 he did tours in Japan and uh, Germany and, huh. you know, other, many other uh, 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 um, um, countries. Yeah. And he was gone. That, that is the unfortunate thing yeah. about employment as a professional wrestler. Yeah. You cannot make money at home. Yeah, unfortunately. Yes. And you know this. There have been times, and certainly Vince and the company did all they could to to try to prevent this particular scenario. But there were times when, when unfortunately, we have to be uh, in Boston on a Monday mm-hmm. and be in Los Angeles on a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's the way the business is. You just can't make money at home. You've got to be in those arenas all over the country. Yeah. And there's definitely so money to very be made. Difficult. Yeah. And it's very difficult, if, you know, just to, 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 to address, you know, what you said to me. It, you know, it's very difficult sometimes for us to see him uh, for, you know, weeks and months at a time. And then that same thing uh, happened with me and my family you know i was on the road a lot i missed a lot of time with my kids growing up that's just it's just the unfortunate thing about wrestling yeah that and that is a huge price to pay and they still pay it today uh ken you know they it really hasn't changed i would just talk with uh with Corey graves and uh, you know he's working as an announcer with the wwe he was home four days out of the month and he's got three small children and that is a huge price because uh, you want to provide for your family. You've got a, a terrific opportunity to do it, but what the price you pay is the time that you want to spend with those children and your family. Uh, the, the price, in my opinion, is astronomic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you never get that time back. Yeah. You know, you know anything, your, your 10-year-old is uh, 15 yeah. Next thing you know, he's twenty. Yeah, leaving the house. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, man. And you, you know, you just can't get that time back. Yeah. And uh, it, I dreaded it. I'm, I mean, I mean, I, I'm, I'm on record as saying I hated that part of the business. Yeah, I hated it. Yeah, man, I've spent a minute here on a plane. Now, I remember one time I had been gone like about four or five weeks in a row, Ugh. and we we were coming out of. Uh, we were coming out of, uh, I believe it was uh, Los Angeles, and we had a layover at DFW. Mm-hmm. And uh, my kids came to see me. I was going to be there for three and a half hours on this layover. Jeez. And don't you know that we had a delay uh. on that flight from Los Angeles? And when I got here, I just had time for my kids to walk with me from one gate to the other and catch that plane. I was so disappointed that day. Yes. <laughs> how many How many children do you have? I have eight. Wow. Man. Mm-hmm. And range, ranging from age from what, what to what when they were uh, 
at one uh, point? How my, long was it? Well, my I can just tell you where they where they range now. Yeah, uh, they range from thirty eight to forty three. Wow, boy, well, you, that was one busy house. How in the world does? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I have I have two sets of twins. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah, I have two. I have two sets of twins, so that kind of counted for they double. They're going to start doubling up on me. Yeah, are, are they are, are they around where you are now? Are you able to see them a lot more? Uh, oh yeah, these days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah, I, yeah. I've got one here with me now. He's looking at me now. Uh, uh, he's he's named after me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So after you know he's after 40. all this, I mean, you knew what the life was like. Uh, what got you into the business? Uh, what, how did you first uh, start becoming a part of it? Believe it or not, I never, ever wanted to be a part of it. It was not my life, hmm. and it was not the life that I chose. Uh-huh. And what happened, um, I was asked by a friend um, of my father's. Colonel Buck Robley. Do you remember him, Buck Robley? Uh, no, but uh, it, it was he. Uh, I could imagine what his character must have been. Right, he was a heel, <laughs> yeah. and he was a, he, he was a, he, he was a really really huge star in the South. Really, in the regional church in the NW, in NWA and AWA, and uh, and 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 he was a really big star there. Mm-hmm. And he was a booker for, I know you know Tully Blanchard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, then you, you should be familiar with his father, Joe Blanchard. Yes. yes. Uh, okay, Joe Blanchard owned a territory in Texas, in the southwest, in San Antonio. Uh-huh. And so, Buck Robley, they needed something to kind of shock the ed- Atmosphere and kind of bring, try to you know, try to put people in the seats. Mm-hmm. And uh, Buck Robley thought about me, hmm. and so he, you know, he contacted my dad and and said, uh, uh, he, "Buck Robley always called me. He, he called me old slick. Well, we say old slick. What's up, old slick? You know, yeah. like that. So my dad contacted me and said." Can you uh, just make that drive from Dallas-Fort Worth area to San Antonio and help them out and do some things? They need somebody that can talk on that TV. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll do that. And Sid Vicious uh, was actually, who, who, who at that time was Lord Humongous, was one of the first people that I managed. All right. right. And, uh, Texas right. All-Star mm-hmm. Wrestling. And, <clears throat> right. Yeah. Yes. So that's where I started. And uh, so then, uh, the uh, announcer there and the commentator there, Rick Stewart, he they released him, and he went to Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So my father was working in Kansas City. He was there with Butch Reed and Harley Race, and you know people like Vince Thatcher there. Yeah. Uh, then big names. So, so then they called. It, it worked so well in Texas. They called and asked if I could come and do it in Kansas City. So, so I was making you, this long trip. Yeah, but were you doing? Uh, you were doing? Were you doing commentary? And 
had you any experience Man, I, besides I, I, being in a mic in front of the church, uh, uh, doing anything? No, I, I didn't. But uh-huh. what happened? I had great teachers. Uh-huh. You know, Playboy Gary, Playboy Gary Hart was running the world class championship uh, wrestling team with the Von Erichs here, right. and I was very close to him and Bruiser Brody and other people like that, uh, big names like that, uh, and so. When when they asked me to come, it was understood that I was somewhat green, but then I had insight. And then, you know, my father started teaching me a lot, and yeah. everybody did. Um, and you had that gift when of I gab. Got to, right. <laughs> now, my greatest, my greatest influence yeah. when I got to the WWE, my greatest influence were three people. I have to give all credit to Bobby the Brain Keenan. Hmm. Really? I mean, he just, he latched on to me like I was his son, and we were close until Bobby died. Uh-huh. Oh. I mean, we, we we were just that close. And Bobby Heenan taught me. He taught me how to talk even uh, to, to better my, my mic skills. He taught me things about the ring. Then the second person who was my learning tree, that's what he called himself, was the big cat Ernie Ladd. Mm, really? And, you know, quite naturally, Ernie Ladd and my daddy were very, very close. Yeah, yeah. And so the big cat took me up under his wing. And then the next person that really, really taught me was uh, was a Dory Funk Jr. Hmm. And Dor- the Funks, the Funks, Dory Funk Sr. gave my father his name, Rufus Star Jones. Hmm. Earlier in his career, my father's name was Buster Lloyd. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dory Funk's daddy, who ran the Amarillo Territory, gave my father the name Rufus R. Jones. Mm-hmm. So when I got up there, you know, they all knew who I, you know, I was his son, and they just kind of looked out for me. And I have to say this, because I would be remiss were I to neglect to say it. Harley Race also taught me an awful, awful lot. Wow. Boy, you had some yeah. uh, pretty damn good teachers, Ken. There's no question right. about that. And, wow. and, 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 and Hacksaw Butch Reed. You can't leave him out either. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, how did you start developing this character? I mean, the, the name Slick would come later, but uh, tell me how that character developed. You, you, you've talked about it before, that it was a role that you developed. Mm-hmm. And tell me how well, that all came about and, and who, you know, how, who who was that person when you when well, you came? Well, let let, let 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 me let me reiterate that Colonel Buck Rubbly gave me the name. Yeah. So when I when when I was working when I first went to to um Texas All Star Wrestling, mm-hmm. I was Silky Slim. Silky Slim, okay. And, yeah, and so Buck Rubbly didn't like that, and you know, I think he's a little afraid of it because it actually came from a movie. Uh huh. And so we were scared that might be repercussions from that, and and uh, so so he he gave me the name Slick because that's what he always called me. Yeah, right. You know, I was around my father and said, "Oh, Slick, what's the old Slick?" Yeah. You know, like this. Yeah. So they gave me the name Slick, and it just stuck. So then, when I went to Kansas City, my name was Slick. Yeah. So when I came to WWE, I'm one of the one of the few people that the WWE does not own my name. I I had it when I went there. Yeah, really. That's awesome. Yeah, because a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of them uh, weren't able to do that. But 
You had it. So, but tell me about the character. I mean, how did you, how did you approach it? What was the, you know, the whole character behind it? Well, now, when we get off into that, yeah. I don't, I don't, I have to, I have to watch what I say because I don't want to infer that I'm throwing racism, uh-huh. uh, playing a race card. Yeah. But my character was supposed to be an intellectual, extremely rich African-American uh-huh. who came in and who bought classes, Freddie Blass's half interest in his stable, right. and who, who was a shrewd businessman who was extremely slick Shrewd about doing, yeah, yeah, it's shrewd, yeah. Uh, shrewd as a sinner, uh, slick. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I got it. So this, okay, and and so, but what happened? As as as, as Caucasians will do, whenever a black man shows up with a suit, then the first thing they go to saying is pimp, mm-hmm. pimp. You know, pimp this. So it wasn't the WWE that brought about the pimp thing. It was actually the fans who did that. Uh-huh. So now, did you initially so, and uh, before? I guess we should talk about how that that path to the WWF came about. Because, uh, like you said, you went to Kansas City. Uh, how did they notice you? How did you get noticed to where uh, they? Because that was you know back then that was when the WWF was really starting to roar. And uh, mm-hmm. they needed good talent, and uh, and they were shopping. Well, so how two, did they notice you? Okay, two things happened. Number one, Bruiser Brody wanted him, uh, uh, us, me, and and himself mm-hmm. to go to New York as a team. He thought. Because, see, New York had never had a black manager. Uh-huh. When I went there, as, 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 as I am uh, advertised as the first African-American uh, manager in WWE history. Mm-hmm. So he thought, man, wow, with his, with his persona and with my gift to gab, yeah. uh, we would be great. We'd, we'd have all the heat in the world, you know? Yeah. So he wanted, he wanted me to go with him. Well, the WWE knows what's going on in every territory, or they knew rather what was going on in every territory. Yeah. So they already had heard of me and knew of me. So somebody, and I think it was Jim Barnett, but I don't really want to go on record as saying that, but I will say that's who I think it was, yeah. came up with the idea we haven't had an African-American intercontinental champion. Butch Reed at that time was ranked number two in the world uh-huh. as a top, top heel. Uh-huh. So they said, let's do this. Let's bring Butch Reed in and uh, put this, uh, this, this slick character with him. Mm-hmm. We'll dye Butch Reed's hair blonde right. and make him the natural. Yeah. And it'll go over like thunder. <laughs> so I had to choose 
between Bruiser Brody and Butch Reed. Mm. And, of course, my choice was Butch Reed because I felt a sense of loyalty to him yeah. because we were working the territory together. Yeah. He was a mentor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was also a big opportunity to come in. I mean, you you got you to gotta grab those rings when they come around. Exactly, and mm-hmm. especially with the promise of uh, him becoming you know, uh, the Intercontinental Champion. Yeah. You know right right away that's going to put you on a different pay scale. Oh, yeah. And it's going to put you in a program that's going to last for some years with various people. So stability, you know, had a, had a, and security certainly played a large role. And when you came in, did uh, you know Vince have his old idea? Because you, you, you and I both know how, how uh, you know Vince lives every character. And he did he have his mm-hmm. own idea of who Slick was, or did he leave you alone and and say just do what you're doing? That's exactly what he did. Really, he left me alone. He said he. I remember. I remember Dick Barnett. Uh, uh, Dick uh, Barnett coming in. And uh, saying, what is his costume going to be? What's he going to wear? And I remember Vince saying uh, explicitly, he's wearing it. And all I had on was a suit. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I developed the doctor of style character in Kansas City. Yeah. And uh, I was, you know, really a dresser. And And in real life. That's what I am. I'm, you know, like if you see me, practically every day I've got a suit on. Yeah, really. So, 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 yeah. So, so, so that's what Vince did. You know, we're gonna do this doctor style thing. He's wearing his outfit. Yeah, that's what his costume is gonna be, and we're just gonna hand that microphone, and let it talk. Yeah. And Vince would be so uh, enamored and enthralled with my. Interview that doing the interview, and I'm sure you remember this. Oh, yeah, he would just holler, yeah. he'd holler, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just, you know. So, you know, yeah. I, I was over with Vince, man. I was over with Vince, really. Uh, I have to, and I really was. I don't know if I am now, <laughs> uh, well, uh, <laughs> but I was then, yeah. yeah. And did you, you really had fun with it, too, uh, Ken? I, I mean, uh, it, it slick was over the top, and you were able to do that. And uh, you had a great cast of characters around you. I mean, you think about, uh, well, first of all, you st- you, with the, your dealings with Freddie Blassie, one of my big faves. Uh, but, you know, here you're with Nikolai Volkov, the Iron Sheik, uh, you know, uh, Hercules, uh, you know, then, and then and brain, uh, Bobby the Brain gets involved. I mean, there was just a great cast to play off of as well. I mean, back then, wasn't, I mean, you must have had a blast. Well, actually, it was quite difficult. Uh, the Iron Sheik and I love him. Yeah. I love him. The Iron Sheik and I love him dearly. Uh-huh. But the Iron Sheik was difficult. Oh, yeah. He's a very difficult person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, you know. I mean, you know that. You know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and 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 and. Uh, but but I, I have to be fair. I have to be honest. He always liked me. But he's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, that hasn't, change, saying, that hasn't changed saying, much, uh, yeah, Ted. That hasn't yeah. changed. I, 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 I'm saying that in an affectionate way, too. Yeah. You know, no, but, but, I, but, but the he, point he's is... crazy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But the point is, though, you had you come into the WWF at a time when it is just... It, it's on fire. 
and there are all of these tremendous characters that we've got in the WWF. So whether or not you're managing them or you're feuding with them, or there's just so much material there. And a lot of people ask me now, and, and they wonder, you know, like, how did they put those stories? How did they, you know, how to, what to say to each other? How did they have it all scripted? And that wasn't the case at all, was it? <laughs> they weren't well, having a copy. Well, and, and, you know, and, and people say that all the time. Yeah. Perhaps there are certain people that they do give script to. Okay? But somebody like me, yeah. Vince would come over and say, this is the idea that I want generated. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you what I need, and I know that you're going to make it materialize. Uh, you, you'll make it a, a, a manifest itself, and I won't have to worry about it. I'll just tell you what I want, what I need, what I'm trying to do. And hand you the mic, and that's what you know. That that's what happened. Yeah, and uh, I, I make it happen too. <laughs> yeah. So, so from your viewpoint, yeah. Ken, what was your reception like in the in the WWF at the time when you got there? First, from the fans' uh, perspective, I think that the fans have always loved to hate me. Love to. I was going to say that. Love to hate you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are many guys that had the kind of heat where the fans hated, and they and they and they they hate. They actually had a hate hatred for. Yeah. With me, I never experienced that hostility that fans can have towards some heels. Mm-hmm. It was always like people were saying, you know, in their mind, you know what, this is a good guy, and uh, I like him. You know, we know he's playing a character. Right. Because when I was out in the restaurants and when I interacted with the fans, I was always cordial and hospitable and, and, and uh, abiding, uh, cooperative. I took the time to take the pictures with the kids and sign it. Even when we'd be out eating, and that is one thing that Butch Reed could not stand. When he was out eating his meal, he did not want to be bothered. Mm. And George, George was like that too. He did, you know, he liked it when he was eating. He didn't really want you to come up asking for for autographs. Yeah, well, and uh, as big as he is, you know, I imagine he get dangerous by his food. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably a joke, but I. Yeah. <laughs> That's like poking a bear when he's. Uh, he's yeah, yeah, he's got, right. He's got a big meal in front of him. Yeah. You mentioned the the mm-hmm. race the race uh, part of this, and and was did you ex- experience any of that early early on as, as uh, being the first African American manager, and really uh, on a stage like that was uh, was huge. Did you experience much of that? Was it just you know there's always uh, you know well, idiots out there? Of course, yeah. of course I did. Uh, now, are you talking about from without? No, I'm saying first of all, just from the like the, the the fans, the the people that were out there, and then also within house. Oh, of course, the the fans, especially in the south, could be vicious. Yeah. Uh, you know, they saying things that would be hurtful if you didn't understand that it, you know this was part of the territory. Uh-huh. Uh, and then from within, you know, quite naturally, you know, some of the. Some of the guys that were racial, you know, and made racial comments and used the N word and and that type of a thing. But I tell you that uh, 
I learned this. Um, when the way you react to some things will depend on how people will will pursue that that line of activity with you. Mm-hmm. I carried myself. You know me, Sean. You know, the number two years. I always carried myself professionally, oh, but absolutely. I was always affable. Yep. Yeah, and uh, I, I only know two people in the business that just flat out didn't like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's pretty good. Are you going to tell us? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't want to. Yeah. Right, yeah. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get that out of you later. <laughs> but no, but uh, well, I, I, I'll tell one. I, I'll, I'll say one. I won't say the other. Okay. But uh, 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 well, I better not because you know you, you you know I know, but I don't want to get into a lawsuit either. Them saying, "Well, no, I never felt that way." You know what I'm saying? But they know, and I know. Yeah. Both of them, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you've mentioned before that you didn't get along with uh, with Bubba, with Big Boss Man, very uh, very well. And I don't know if that was something personal or, or it was a, a work thing. But, uh, no, that was, I, that, yeah, I that never, was a I, work thing that I, I, that I was asked yeah. to say because we were going to try to do something that's, you know, on, 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 in a, one of the India, India shows. And uh, yeah. I, I never had, I never had. Uh, Big Boss Man and I were never close. Yeah, but we, we but we always got along. But you could also do you could do business together too. Right, we always right. got and along. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Now, how about did you get any uh, heat from the African American community about the character? Never, never. And so they they thought it was that was awesome with what you were doing, and and uh, they. They uh, were happy to know. see me get the opportunity. Yeah, because that's not that's and, that's, and, not, that's go ahead. No, I was going to say, aren't you are 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 you proud of of what you, uh, you know, like you said, you were the first African American manager in uh, in New York in, in in New York for the for the World Wrestling Federation. I mean, do you, are, do you think about that at all? Of of kind of a road that you pay for a lot of people. Let me just say this: I'm extremely proud. Uh, I don't want to come off as a vain person. I'm just simply yeah. trying to ask the question that was asked of me by you. And that is this. Yeah. I think I'm very, very good at what I did. I think my longevity in the business proves that I was. I think the respect that I have for my peers, people like you, you wouldn't be calling me to do this interview if you didn't didn't respect what I brought to the business. So I, I was very, very good. Yeah, I was very, very good. So I'm very, very proud of my career. Uh, I think that I can say with certainty that I would be in the Hall of Fame ahead of Teddy Long had I not been a part of that lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And I think I still will because I know Vince, he's mad now. But as time goes by, he'll, he'll, he'll cool off, and we'll get a chance to talk. And uh, I, I still I still believe I will be. But if, I, if, if they never put me in there, it's still not going to take away from the fact that I was very, very successful and that my name became a household name within wrestling circles. Yeah. Well, and since you mentioned that, I mean, is that a regret of yours that uh, you were involved in that? No, of course not. 
No, I, I, I mean, in that uh, of that loss. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Of course not. I, no, I don't regret it. It was only fair. Yeah. It was only fair. I mean, we 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 made him billions of dollars, and we've mm-hmm. and we've not been fairly compensated. And we have we have you know people, you know you get hurt all the time, you know that. And yeah. I, you know I don't want to really go into that part, but then I have great difficulty even with my memory. I, you know, just even now as as we've been doing this interview, I you see me stumbling sometimes trying to. I can't remember what it is I want to say. It's just all this type of things. And then my part of the lawsuit wasn't you know just. Uh, wasn't centered around the CTE either. It was around, you know, but anyway, I don't want to get into the lawsuit publicly. But no, I have no regrets. Okay, no worries. Yeah, yeah. But you mentioned, uh, you know, these superstars. Uh, people don't realize how many bumps you guys took. <laughs> I mean, of course. You probably took yes. some pretty nasty ones. Well, any, any that really stand out? Yes, in Houston, Texas. It's on, it's on the, it's on the, what is it, uh, home, uh, Coliseum. Uh, video, yeah. uh, video. That's uh, yeah. Where Hogan threw me over the top rope, and uh, I hit that concrete uh, ground. Man, I came up spitting up blood and everything. I tell you, you know that that's one of the worst. And then another was what George Animal Steel did to me in Boston once. I mean, I mean, his adrenaline was pumped up, and man, he he body slammed me so. I came up spitting up blood on that one. Uh, so. And he, we got, we were in the dressing room. He was so, you know, very apologetic. Ken, I'm so sorry. I just, yeah. you know, I was so used to working with these 300 pounders, and you so thin. I, I yeah. got carried away. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. You, you took a lot along the way. Uh, I, I want to get into though some of the uh, some of the guys that you enjoyed working with the most. Um, who Who are the ones that really stand out uh, that you? Spent time managing uh, and, and storylines that you had with them. Well, believe it or not, the big boss man, mm-hmm. and, and certainly I'm not naming these in chronological order. Uh, but the no, big boss no man, because we run around the country, three different tours. Mm-hmm. So I was making, man, I was making good, good good money uh and i i was appreciative of to vince for putting me in that spot um yeah uh, i don't know if people remember or not or they may not even uh, know but that's how you guys made your money you you made your money from those house shows and those gates it wasn't uh you weren't being paid salaries back no then. we were not so no. we yeah, didn't get a good run it was bad yeah so i was able to i was able to Follow Hulk Hogan all over the country, and you know that was an instant sellout being on call with him. So, oh and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what are your memories? Uh, and I want to get back to some of these personalities, but uh, what are your memories of being a part of that uh, of that WrestleMania WrestleMania three, uh, and, and being on you know because that was just uh, at, at working in wrestling. What else could you have possibly thought you'd end up doing in your life? Then uh, I don't know how you top that. You don't. Uh, you, yeah. you, you, you don't top that. That was the pinnacle. And I, I yeah. in terms of the Z, uh, uh, man, listen, and th- listen, that was when we came out of those tunnels and to hear the electricity 
the energy in the air, the tension, the expectation, the anticipation from the fans of how, what a wonderful time and what a wonderful show they were about to receive. And brother, I said, we all put out, I'm telling you. And if you remember, that was the show where, you know, Vince really gave me an opportunity to, uh, to, to, to be exposed. I went out with Hacksaw Bush Reed versus Kobe Ware. Mm-hmm. I went out with um, One Man Game. Uh, I went out with uh, um, Did I say Butch Reed? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And no, you were busy. Yeah, and then with with uh, Nikolai <laughs> Volkov and uh, Iron Sheik. Yeah. yeah, so I was busy that yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what a memory. So, uh, what other guys though stand out? I mean, the the uh, uh, you work with Rick Martel and uh, you know Paul Roma. I know was someone else you enjoyed working with, uh, and the Warlord. So, of those guys, before we get into your real pal, uh, who are some of these other personalities that stand out <laughs> to you from those days? I had to laugh because you said before we get into your real pal, and I know that's the one man game because yeah. everybody, everybody you know yeah, everybody knows how yeah. close we are. I just talked to him yesterday, as a matter of fact. He called me yesterday. We talked two hours on the phone uh, yeah. <laughs> earlier in the morning. Great guy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. uh, the warlord, man, if, if there's a, a nicer guy in this world than the warlord, Kerry, uh, I just haven't met him. What a great guy yeah. he is. Very, very humble guy. Okay. Hey, um, then you mentioned uh, Rick Martel. Well, let's talk about power mm-hmm. and glory. Hercules Hernandez and uh, Paul Roma were two. We were close. We, you know, we all we all had a wonderful working relationship. Now, Rick Martel—that's a different story. Rick Martel liked me as a person, but he did not like me professionally. With him, he thought that I took away from him rather than to add to him. So he, he really? yeah, he pretty much uh ended our time together uh by going to Vince and saying that it just wasn't working and you know, he he you know he wasn't really used to having a manager either. So Yeah, well some of some liked uh, working alone and they really felt like sharing that mic stole away from what they did, but mm-hmm. you know, in many cases, it was a reason you were there mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. they weren't getting themselves over and they needed somebody who knew how to do it. Right, right. And to be honest with you, oh. at, at, at that particular time, Rick had done just about everything he could do. And he didn't realize that Vince put him with me to give him a shot in the arm to kind of help revive his career. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, well, uh, and yeah, he didn't. Vince didn't do anything without a purpose. Yeah, it. it wasn't just uh, shuffling chairs. Around. Right. So, uh, yep. well, Rick didn't appreciate it, and you know, he he uh, he asked that we, you know, that our partnership would be dissolved. And uh, when Vince came to me to notify me of that, I was relieved because I felt that it wasn't going any place anyway. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and uh, and so let's get to George Gray because, uh, you know, 
it's it's funny when people find out now because back then it wasn't people didn't have the internet they didn't have uh you know all these this information but you guys were legitimately uh, you you were uh, you know you traveled together you had a lot of the same interests you know and I've talked to George he was on the on the show and uh you know he said that yeah it was just a, a great match we were just a good it was you know we traveled together all the time uh, tell me about that friendship before we talk about what you guys did in the ring because you, you did a lot. Uh, well, I don't want to sound like a religious fanatic, <laughs> but are <laughs> a religious imbecile. <laughs> but I will say this. I think, <laughs> I think that George and myself was a match made in heaven. Uh, yeah. I mean, man, we, our personalities were the same. Our interests were the same. Like, if we get to a town early, we decide we're going to have lunch and go to go to the movies or something. We always like the same thing. We never had conflict there. You know, come time to eat, we, we like eating, you know, the same thing. If, we, if, if you know, we want Chinese, we're no problem with Chinese. If we want soul food, we're no problem with soul food. One, you know, just, it just, we just always click. Neither one of us drank yeah. or, or yeah. you know, anything else. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so we, we just, I mean, and, and to this day, like I say, uh, he's been gone uh, since 90 or 91, and I've been gone since 93. And to this day, we're yeah. still as close as ever. Like I said, we just talked yesterday, two hours. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, and you mentioned, uh, Ken, how there were a lot of temptations on the road. And we, we know that uh, well, superstar after superstar, fell to those temptations mm-hmm. a lot of them aren't here today mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and i think people would find it first surprising because you played that character so well they would have thought oh yeah he goes to the bar every night he's all into that and that was not anywhere near the case and uh you just didn't know about you know george no one-man gang you probably didn't know but i think that people thought well, you know when they hear this that would be that's very surprising to them because you you did uh live that life you were you had a you were very uh Attached to uh, your ministry that never left, you didn't uh, right. didn't fall to those temptations, and so uh, what George was a part of that. I don't think you needed the uh, you know someone there to, to to make you fight off these temptations or whatever. But what was it about uh, your, your person that you were able really to, to not let any of that affect you because it affected so many. Well, you were a star. Well, the, you know the thing about it is, I, I attribute that to the grace of God. Because we had, we were had exposure to it. No, yeah, you know, you know yeah. that, and and, and uh, but yeah. neither one of us ever had a to die for it. And even in at age sixty two, I have never been intoxicated in my life. Never been high, nothing like that to this day. And uh, yeah. so that just yeah. wasn't my thing. And, uh, you know, I've always been a family man, a dedicated, George is dedicated. And so it just wasn't our thing. And so, you know, we, we spent practically my entire career up there until he left uh, together, you know. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and how crazy was it, though? You mentioned that that was all there. Uh, how, how crazy was it during those years? We're talking, you know, after 86, well into the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Every town you guys went to, uh, it was just, I remember there would be, you know, you'd come out of those arenas, there'd be 10 deep. 
of people, of fans, just wanting to mm-hmm. to be near these guys. Yeah. Before we get off of George, I, I want to say yeah. that I thought George was treated very unfairly in uh, in the WWE. And, uh, you know, we even talked about that on yesterday. And to some degree, it was his fault. Uh, because, man, right in the middle of being having a big, big push with Hogan, he requested, you know, some time off. Because, uh, you know, he had a young kid. Man, his kid, you know, my kids were, were just a, a little bit older than George's. But he had a really, really young kid, mm-hmm. about three or four or something like that, you know, and he just would miss his wife and the kid. So, and, and, man, you know, when 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 Vince has given you that, that big push that everybody wants, you know. Uh, but after yeah. that, I thought, I thought Vince was, was, was extremely brutal uh, in his dealing with, with George. You know, just... You know, they, man, they, they, they really didn't, you know, George was a former world champion in UWF and everything. They just, he was a big yeah. star in world class, the one Eric, everywhere he went, you know, but they, uh, they brutalized him, man. They, they butchered his career. And I always thought it was in retaliation for, for that. But, uh, I just wanted to make my opinion known on that. Well, and, and, and now that you mentioned that, though, because One Man Gang was a, a God, it was a tremendous character. I mean, it uh, was totally over. And uh, I know that you had something to do with the Akeem character, but was it that, why, you know, I, how did that come about, though? Did they squash the one-man gang and then they wanted to find something that was going to, you know, squash him? Well, or what, what, well, how did that well, happen? Well, you know, Vince would not have achieved, in my humble opinion, he would not have achieved the, the the the, um, the the gigantic or enormous uh, success that he has w- without being an opportunist, and so mm-hmm. they they were really getting ready to end the one man game contract. So when I came up, I went to George because we were very close, and I went to George yeah. and I, I I said, man, I think I'll come up with a way to convince Vince. Of, of of how you can really blow up and make money and and, and that's what, you know he he's about making money you know and uh and I yeah. said uh, we'll 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 just call you a king say you from Africa you come to the ring dancing and acting black it'll go over and so I went to him he hollered you know he just he was he was he was enamored by it and uh, that's that's how that came about and that added another two to three years to George's career. I mean, so it went from him, you think, in a sense, trying to kill off the one-man gang character and, and basically push him out of uh, the WWF, mm-hmm. uh, and then you came up with this character. Do you think that Vince thought, it will never go over, and I'm going to humiliate this guy in the process, and yet it that didn't happen? I, <laughs> I, I, I tell you, I don't think that's the case. Uh, there, yeah. there are people that Vince has wanted to humiliate. Okay. Yeah, and he's done it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but but to be frank, you know, the man is a marketing genius. And, and oh, he, no doubt And he that. saw dollar signs with that Akeem doll and yeah. with the merchandise yeah. and with the character itself. You know, he he knew that we would we would put it over on TV, and we did. 
And then, you know, they bought Sapphire in and they bought Dusty Rhodes in. See? Mm -hmm. So you really got you got the same thing all over again. Dusty Rhodes, the whole character was, was uh, emulating African-American people. And then he brings in Sapphire, which is a stereotypical type of thing, thing if you know what I mean. And, uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so, you, you know, you had me out there and then you had... Uh, a king as the African from deepest, darkest Africa. So, man, we went around, around the country with it. Shedding out. You but know did that. You see it as, you yeah, but uh, did you see it as uh, a heel character or a baby face when you envisioned it first? As a baby face. And, and I, think <laughs> that's, I think that's where they, I think that's where they got us. Uh, they made it a heel character, and the people wanted it as a babyface character. Yeah. Oh yeah, with the dance and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it was. Yeah. 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 So you never you never saw it that way, and you think that that was uh, kind of part of it that uh, they didn't sell it the right way. That's what I think. Yeah, I think that is that is the right way, yeah. but I don't think that it was not a success. Yeah. Do you? You think so? The. Uh, if I may ask, do I, I think that I think it was tremendously successful. I mean that people remember that today. I I, I don't remember where I, I heard the story, but he was somewhere doing a, a performance and written like it wasn't that long ago, and people started singing you know the song and he started doing the dance, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. So I mean, yeah, it was. It, but could it have you know like you said, could it have been different? Yeah, I, I think so. But I mean, it was still very very uh, very much remembered today and 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 people love that yeah. character uh, I, you know and it and the thing is ken back it, back then we were we really did draw the lines you know where it was you're either a baby face or you're a heel now right. you don't you know even in the late 90s that started to get blurred and i think that people even then saw right. it. they didn't care what he did they just i like that character I well like let's, talk, you know, let's talk about does, let's talk yeah, about jake the snake robert as you know yeah. jake the snake robert was a heel he he was a heel. Yeah, the the yeah. fans turned yeah. him babyface. Yeah, could, there's nothing he could. There's do nothing about he could do about it. And and, and what he did, he <laughs> continued right. to act as a heel. They loved him. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. You're right. Uh, Steve Austin. Steve Austin should thank him. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. Because he got, he did he did he got away. But 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 I think even back there, like that, that's a great example that. You, they can try and do it one way, but you can't make these people, you know, the crowd, decide who they're going to like and who they're not going to like mm -hmm. for whatever reason, if they're good or bad. And that's what another yep. thing, too, like with your character, too. Uh, there were people that loved to hate you, but there are people who loved to love you. Right. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? They, they just loved your whole mm -hmm. bit. I mean, I did. I just thought it was, the, it was brilliant. Well. And, and you could do so many things. Well, thank you. you I know? appreciate that. And we certainly tried to explore every possibility. Um. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's what, like I said at the top of this, Ken. There were there were uh, managers, and they were the you know the best of the best, and and you were uh, you were one of them, uh, and completely unique. You know, Bobby was very was completely unique. Jimmy Hart was very unique. You know, and you know, uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, when George and I were talking yesterday, he made the statement, with the exception of Bobby the Brain Heenan with the mm -hmm. exception of Bobby the Brain Heenan, and let me make sure that you uh, are understand 
that I am in total agreement with him, with the exception of Bobby the Brain Keenan. I was just as good as anybody else who's ever been a manager in this business. But Bobby the Brain Heenan was just above everybody, all of us, in, yeah. our, in our opinions. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you, you feel the same way about Bobby, which, who I adored too. Mm-hmm. But the same way I do as far as it comes to announcers, I always say there was Gene Okerlund and then there's the rest of us. And, uh, you know, yeah. and Gene was one of a kind. There's, there's no question no about question that. No question about that. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that's that, that Heenan, man. I uh, love the guy. I really love him. And he uh, passed away at really no early. He was just mm-hmm. one of a kind. And you can uh, back me up on this, that Bobby was the same backstage as he was out on that stage. <laughs> it's always yes, he was. Yeah. So, so damn funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when, when, when did the uh, – did you get to a point, like, in the career uh, with the WWE? And, and uh, you, would, you would eventually – I guess they call take a leave of absence. But when you came back, it was as the reverend uh, character. Mm-hmm. And was that something that you had always wanted to do to uh, eventually bring that into what you did in professional wrestling? Or how did that, how did that happen? Well, let me say this. Yeah. At that point, they were getting ready to phase me out too. And uh, so that was something that Vince came up to give me a shot in the arm and keep me around a little longer. Mm-hmm. But I was, <laughs> I was by my own admission, a horrible baby face. <laughs> and so the, yeah. the, the reverend thing just didn't work. It just, uh, I just, yeah. Well, we'd had slick for too long. Yeah. We'd had slick. Too, for <laughs> yeah. Too long, it just yeah. didn't work. And, but what it was, yeah. you know, it was a take on my real life. And if, do you remember that Vince and the, and the crew came to our, my church in Fort Worth and taped? And, yeah, uh, yeah, they did a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Vince, and Vince listened to my sermon that Sunday, and and uh, he was a, uh, uh, he, he was very impressed with it. So that's when he decided we'll do this. We're gonna uh, push this thing. So I, you know, I was preaching in all the venues every night. They let me go out and preach a sermon. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, I, yeah, and it was uh, it was interesting how it was received by people. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was because, and I guess uh, in your ministry, I mean, you're you're supposed to witness. Uh, did you right feel that maybe you were reaching some people? I mean, not necessarily a lot, but really there was you know, that a few maybe that your ministry was being. Uh, you know, used in in a in a very productive way. Not only not only doing that? not only outside of the business, but within the business as well. The several of the boys that I led to Christ. Really? Yeah. Among them was Mr. Fuji. No mm-hmm. kidding. Now that would uh, I I've never heard that. That floors mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Yeah. How did that come about? You know. Mr. Fuji was aging at that time in his life. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, when people start aging, man, their perspectives change and, 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 and their pursuits as well. And, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, I always talked about the Lord or talked about, you know, because guys would ask me, you know, when, you know, you know, when you go to the matches and in the dressing room and waiting, you're trying to come out and, you know, people just strike up conversations. And, uh, you know, man, I started yeah. talking about the Bible and preaching a little bit and, 
you know, the guys, they, they liked it, you know, and then, you know, some would, would like to, which I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm not uh, too proud of this, but some would say, but don't say anything to the rest of the boys. They were afraid about being uh, real, you know, you know how the boys can be, you know, holy roller and that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, I did, I did quite a few people. Yeah, that's uh, that's 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 something. Uh, so uh, you, you mentioned the boss man, and you actually were you inducted him in uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. So uh, what? I mean, like you said, you didn't you weren't best friends, but obviously there was a lot of respect that uh, you would do something like that. Well, I tell you what hurt me about that situation. Oh. Prior to uh, the. Uh, festivities for the evening beginning. Um, one of his daughters walked up to me, and she said, "Did you 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 didn't like my dad? I I I've never heard my dad say that." And I had explained to her that I was doing a promo, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it really bothered me because I didn't want her to think that her father and I were enemies. We were never enemies. Right. We 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 just were not. We were we were not running buddies. Can I put it like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got along well. But he went his way, and I went mine. When the mat when the matches were over, we weren't guys who went to lunch together. We didn't ride in the same car together. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't room together. So why induct him? Why induct him then? Well, that wasn't my choice, you know. Uh, Vince, that's that's who Vince wanted me to do it, but I, I didn't. Oh, I didn't really? have a problem with doing it. We weren't enemies. I mean, it, it's not like we we yeah. we. You know, I, I hope I'm making myself clear. <laughs> there was no heat between us. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, that wasn't. It wasn't like we didn't walk in the dressing room, sit down, and talk, and laugh, and crack jokes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're just from different worlds. Yeah, you know? right. Some guys don't, uh, you mm-hmm. know, they're not best pals, but they certainly respect each mm-hmm. other and what they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's all you can ask, mm-hmm. and, and and it's true. I mean, uh, you know, Ken, I, I just remember that you were, if we had an interview to do, you were there uh, early. You were, uh, and everybody, <coughs> you know, you were where you're supposed to be. You always conducted yourself uh, so professionally, and mm-hmm. that's the reason why you were so successful. And and now, as you, and as you look back, and, and we talk about there was, you know, there's a price to pay. Uh, you know, with with family, and it's it's a tough it's it's tough. But uh, you blazed a trail. Uh, you you did a lot for uh, people that came behind you, and, and a, an example of, of uh, managers. I mean, I wish they had. A, I wish they maybe it's just they can't find the talent anymore because the, you guys were the best of the best and made uh, you know the, the 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 show so much better, the the entertainment so much better. But when you look back now on your life, what do you think? I mean, uh, that period of time where, uh, God, you, you were, everybody knew who you were around the world. I would love to become retroactive and go back to the 86, 87, 88 years of my life and relive that over, particularly with what I know now as compared to what I know knew then. And I, I would, man, I yeah. would just really, really enjoy doing that. And I do want to thank you for uh, the compliments that you just uh, 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 threw my way. 
It meant a lot to me. I appreciate that. Uh, I've always said that in most cases, unless there's some bizarre uh, elements uh, present, good work, good work ethics usually produce positive results. And uh, I stand on that, and that's the way I live my life. And you continue to live your life that way, folks. It's, uh, it's got a very successful ministry still to this day. And, uh, Ken, really, it's just been, it's been awesome talking with you. And, and that's what I love about this podcast is people not only get to find out that, uh, how you're living your life these days, days, but they also find out who you were at that point in time because people didn't, didn't get that information. And uh, I think they learned a lot of, uh, of uh, great information today about you. And I, I want to thank you for coming on primetime. Is there a way that they can get in touch with you at all? Do you have an email or sure. I don't know if you do any of that, but they'd probably love to get in touch with you somehow. Sure. Uh, my mailing address is P O box one, six, five, eight, five Louisville, Kentucky four, zero, two, five, six. All right, still doing it the old-fashioned way. That's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should more of us should do that. More of us should have a PO box. Right, right. right. Yeah, and I would right. give well, out my email address, but man, you know, it that would be it would it would more than likely be hundreds and hundreds, you know, coming in. It just overload my, yeah. you know, I wouldn't be able to handle my work, you know. So that's why I didn't yeah. do it like well, that. I still very much, it. yeah. Yeah, you're very much remembered today, man. I hope I see you down the road. I'd love to see you again. Oh, man, it's been six years, so we got to get together here pretty soon somewhere. Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right, Ken, great chatting with you, and, uh, and take care. All right, and uh, to the fans, thank you so much for your contribution to my career. Without you, it would certainly have been nothing, and I appreciate you, and I love each and every one of you. I really enjoyed my conversation with Slick, or rather Ken Johnson, a true trailblazer, an incredible talent, and what a contrast between the character he played and who he is in real life. I mean, uh, he played a role, and, uh, you know, it it took a lot uh, for him. Uh, it, it took a lot of heat along the way. You know, you, ha- you know he had to have along with, with fans out there, and uh, even though it was in the 80s, uh, and he took it all. He was a class act. And also, you know, did a lot for African-American uh, people in professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, became a superstar. He was as big as any of the, any of the other managers in the WWF and had a, a great run there. And I hope that that relationship improves <laughs> between him and the WWE. And like we say uh, in the WWE, uh, never say never. But uh, really, uh, a class act. Never flinched along his journey. Always true to his faith. I loved uh, him telling the uh, the story that uh, he pretty much every Sunday was back home to minister uh, to his flock back home, and and Vince helped him do that. So uh, really, what a great conversation with Slick, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Be sure to check out uh, Patreon.com/slash Primetime Mooney, everybody. Uh, lots of uh, content on there, and there is something for everybody. So be sure to check it out. Patreon.com slash Primetime Mooney. Also, check out Upside of 40 with Sean Mooney, uh, the other podcast they do on your favorite podcast platform. All you men over 40 and beyond out there. 
uh, and I know that's many of you. And, uh, you know, in this podcast, we talk about health, we talk about sex, fitness, food, wine, and, of course, how to be better at relationships. We all want to do that. All topics that men of a certain age, uh, and I include include myself in that group, uh, all the topics and things that we deal with. Uh, Check it out. Upside of 40 with Sean Mooney. Got another great episode on the way next week. Who will it be? All I know is it will be another must-listen here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. In the meantime, I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.